Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media. A good story is a good story. Hosted by Marsha Casper Cook. Live shows every week with interesting interviews in the entertainment field with writers, producers, directors, and screenwriters. There's also shows about newsworthy topics and group discussions about writing tips to help writers reach success. New to the show are conversations about personal struggles and how to feel good about yourself in today's world. One thing's for sure, it's always a lively conversation and lots of fun. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha, and I think I'll be sitting back enjoying the show because Jack Remick is on, and he will be introducing everything that and all the topics, as we know. So he always brings me a lot of guests that are so much fun and intelligent and uh, literary. And um, so we're going to have a really good show today, and we're going to let – it's Russ Spikowski and Jack Remick, and I'm going to let Russ talk about just what he does, and he has a lot of things going on right now. So before we get into a conversation, so because nobody has met him yet on our show, so I'd like Russ. Hi, Russ. I'm so glad you got on the show this time. So Hi. we're happy to have thanks you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, thanks oh, so welcome. much for having me. Yeah. Do you um, want to so, tell everybody yeah. about yourself? Yeah. Sure. Uh, my name is Russ. Um, you know, I'm uh, an artist um, and uh also uh, run a small publishing house called uh, Paper Crown Press that publishes uh, Carrier Pigeon magazine and also um, kind of one-off art books and uh, limited edition, like, uh, you know, handmade print portfolios. And uh, oh. also I'm uh, the director of uh, Gutenberg Arts in Gutenberg, New Jersey, or uh, Gutenberg, how, how the cops like to say it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and we're, uh, you know, we're a community arts center. We uh, have an artist residency as well as, uh, you know, like a subsidized uh, summer camp and a community garden. Uh, We do kind of, uh, you know, free workshops and uh, also, uh, you know, public events and uh, things like that and exhibitions as well. It's great. So free workshops, how do... uh... Do you have a, a monthly or weekly or certain time? Um, so uh, we work. So we we host about like nine to twelve residents a year, and they get uh, the okay. key to the studio. And we have, uh, you know, mostly printmaking and ceramics facilities uh, as well as uh, kind of like an open space. Um, so we ask them to host uh, free workshops for the community, and usually they're like three to five hours. And uh, wow! Uh, and uh, you know the neighborhood we're in is a very immigrant-friendly neighborhood. It's a lot of you know really hardworking people that don't have a lot of uh, time for kind of you know art in their life. Yeah. So it's it's kind of. Uh, a thing that nice. I really love, love doing here because it brings people in that wouldn't, you know, usually, you know, consider it something that they could have or do, you know. So. Yes, that's terrific. Yeah, because it's not always offered everywhere, you know. And even programs yeah. that are, they're cutting down, they're cutting programs. So, you know, art is so important for people, you know, especially yeah. especially in today's world. Art is, you know, it's like therapy for people so it's really good you know it makes them feel good and you know sometimes when you're stressed I think those kind of things work very well I've had a lot of shows on stress since COVID and people are more into that now trying to relax a little you know it's a different world it's actually like kind of amazing you know um, we do some some classes off-site in public schools and like senior centers and things like that and great you know initially when we started this i i, I didn't want to do it but then we we ended up doing it just because there's you know so much want from uh the community for things like that and just seeing you know like kids come in that are completely whatever something happened in their life or at home or something yep. like that and they just look completely disheveled when they come into the class and then walk wow. out with a smile you yeah. know that's good yeah. see i think people should realize that that helps kids you know it's 
the kids, that's why they can't cut programs like that. Because if they do, kids, you know, they need to have this in their life. You know, I mean, it may sound like, you know, to some people it's just art, but no, it's not just art. It's a way of life. It's how they can relax. It's how they can enjoy things. Even without having money, at least they can get rid of some of the stress. Yeah, I think that's great that they smile. Yeah, it kind of introduces, you know, another another kind of point of view rather than the kind of hoarding mentality that we have. That you know, there's something something else to chase out there that's not you know the accumulation of whatever the you know whatever widget you're into, you know. So it's nice. And I I think a lot of the big cities offer things like you know big cities, but sometimes in the smaller cities they don't do that. You know, in the smaller places. You, and they could, they should actually, in the schools if yeah. they could. You know, if they cut yeah, because they cut it, they don't have time for it. You know, but they need it. There's kind really of like need. a big ex- excuse going on right now. You know that uh, because of COVID, they need to catch the kids up on math and and English and all that. So, you know, uh, you know, under that guise, they're they're kind of cutting art programs everywhere. So it's. Right, really but they're, they're, you know the kids. Yeah, it's been very hard for kids with COVID because we've had, you know, all the shows I've had talked about that. You know how kids are so, you know, I mean they've changed their whole life. The parents has changed their life. It, it affected them a lot, and we won't really know that for a while. So yeah. how they really react, you know. So it's great that you have those programs. All right, Jack, want to tell everybody who you are and what you've done. Okay. And, um, and your cover about I'm that a, cover that Russ did. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a poet, a novelist, an essayist, and uh, I started working a master class in uh, what I call interactive rewriting. Uh, first time I've ever tried that. I've worked with individual students before. I just published my 20, 20th and 21st books. Uh, Man Alone is a little novella that Russ did the cover for. And Pieces is another um, compendium that I put together specifically for writers. Uh, They can find that on my website at jackremick.com. And uh, it's a a really, it's a, a thick book, but it's full of stuff that I've picked up over the years and tried to pass on. Man Alone is a, is a novella. Uh, it's kind of a dystopian modern novel about the fate of men in this screwed up culture we live in. And uh, that's about where I am at the moment. I have a couple questions for Russ because, well, first of all, cover art isn't your primary form, is it, Russ? So how did you get into doing covers? Uh, I discovered your work through Dennis Must books and was terribly intrigued by the nature of the of the art that you had done there, both the illustrations and the covers. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you moved from your art into cover art um, and, and some process in that? Well, um, you know, I, I did go to school for illustration. I went to school of visual arts for illustration, and uh, I had some... Uh, Incredible teachers there, like uh, Bruce Waldman and Francis Cheddar and Marshall Arisman. And, uh, um, you know, I, I never really, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's I don't really think of it as cover art or fine art or illustration or, you know, it's you kind of know when it's good and when it's not, when you're doing it, you know. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think with... with with living in the digital age, it's pretty easy to go from uh, something really large scale to you know some something of like an A4 format. So it, uh, you know, I never really thought of it as uh, you know, one type or another. Right. It's just kind of you know. Well, I, I have another question about how you actually get the image off the page in the words and into a visual image that we can appreciate. Because I, I found. When you did Man Alone, you found the line, and I'll quote the line, the hollow in the mattress folded up over him like a tulip closing when the sun goes down. But the image that you gave is more than just a rendition of those words. You've got this dark figure in there hovering over the man in the, in the bed, 
And so my question in this is what moves your pen to move and which part of your art streams out of your creative unconscious and how much of it are you calculating? I don't know if that's a question that makes sense for an artist of your caliber, but can you get into how you get those words to turn into images? You know, the really nice thing about working with you and with Dennis um, is uh, that you guys um, kind of just give me the freedom to do whatever I think is right, you know, rather than kind of uh, the commercial illustration that I've done where it's kind of like art by a committee and it it kind of leaves everything looking like the piece of cement, you know. Um, So I, I think as far as making the image here it was definitely you know reading the book a couple of times you know I, I think I sent you a whole, a whole slew of uh, images that came to mind but um, it's you know it's, it's always nice to kind of let uh, the media kind of have to take part of the conversation you know um, so you know I've, I've kind of learned over the years that if I kind of try to pound an image into into the page or whatever into clay or you know into a sculpture mm-hmm. or print um it always tends to be static if you don't let the material speak as well so part of it is you know kind of starting with an idea and then just seeing what comes out and you know sometimes it's subconscious sometimes you just like see you know sometimes the thing you start with ends up being the thing that you want to change the most at the end kind of a thing but it's it's kind of more about like that conversation with with the drawing, you know, rather than kind of, you know, dictating. Well, dic- so dic- what you say is to see. You said to see what comes out. You know, do you have an interior visual interior image of the of the image that you start from the words with? Uh, that's a crazy well, question. You know, but I, I I loved kind of the the line about the you know the the antagonist kind of like sinking into the bed and then kind of pulling mm-hmm. around and I think probably a lot of people have had those periods of their life where you know you just want to stay in bed you know I think with Jack, with Jack and Dennis I wouldn't it be like Jack and yeah. they're very intense writers. I mean, when I was trying to, I was talking to someone about Jack the other day and I was saying, I would quit. You're more of an intense type of writer because you're not just writing just frivolous. You're a deep, deeper writer than a lot of people are. You know, they're just well, writing you know, a story, but for you it's yeah, very deep. Yeah. That's one of the things that intrigued me about Dennis's work, excuse me, Russ's work with Dennis. It looked like more of a collaboration than than one uh, you know uh, telling the other what to do the images for instance in in uh, brother carnival all the monks that you did you know burying themselves in their graves so they could dig themselves up like Christ resurrecting I mean did that kind of words have an impact on you that let you pull the images out of something that's in you as though the way a method actor pulls out a character? Um, I, th- I think to to a point, you know, um, def- definitely when uh, when you're you're familiarizing yourself with a, with a new writer, you know, as an illustrator, I, I like to kind of take that approach. Like uh, when I started working with Dennis, I think he sent me, you know, some music that was that was mentioned in the in in his books you know and and also some some films to reference for you know some the way that things looked and things like that you know um Mm -hmm. and you know but at at a certain point i think too you just kind of when you're when you're in the image it's just something else you know it's it's uh and it's kind of that that side i think that that everybody has it's also like getting back to the original thing i think is really or the original uh, topic Martian I went over is kind of really important to show people that there is something else, you know, to this rather than just kind of the everyday, you know, trying to get wow. point kind of a thing, you know. So, um, but yeah, the, you know, it's I, I I don't know what it is, but I, I think a lot of the artists around the <laughs> wonder, you know, I I'm think sure that's you, a pretty good right, explanation of what you don't know yeah. is coming out really clear, <laughs> Russ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
I have one one other question that I'd like to lay on you here. And I, I have an original Spitkovsky. You sent it to me. It's enormous, and yet you've been able to reduce that large work to fit onto the cover of a book. Does that represent some kind of a distortion in your mind that that we can't see the true size of that piece of art? Um, I mean, the, what appears on the book cover, both Dennis's books and mine, you know, is exceptional. But when I see this original Spitkovsky hanging on my wall, I think, my yeah. God, how did he see that to squeeze it down? So what's going through your mind there when you're working that? Because I know you, you use a monotype and then you get to the final form, uh, you know. So can you comment on that, Russ? Yeah, you know, um, so this this was a pen and ink for, for your cover, and uh, this I tried to do a technique that I learned from uh, Marshall Arisman that unfortunately passed away recently, but um, he used uh, a hairbrush, or a hair, uh, yeah, a comb, I guess, uh, and he would cut it up into uh, different sized pieces and then kind of use that as a... Uh, as the as the brush or the pen, you know, so you, you can kind of see like uh, all the all the repetitive kind of strokes in, in the in the character in the background, uh, that kind of thing. But the reason, you know, the reason I like to work large is it's just more physical. You know, it's uh, you kind of get to swing your arms more. You know, you get to feel the lines a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. When, when you kind of, uh, for for me, you know, some artists really like to work on a, on a smaller scale. I've just always like to work larger. You know, just kind of you're you're able to put your whole body into it. You know, and kind of lose yourself a little bit more. You know, but um, fantastic. As far as, as far as like scaling it down to, it's uh, something. You know, that's a something that I love about printmaking too is that you kind of learn to make art for for the print rather than trying to get something something to look like something else. So, you know, over over the time I've been doing illustration you just kind of learn uh how things look when they scale down or when they scale up and things like that. You know, like um mm-hmm. if you're doing a four by eight foot woodcut, you know, um you, you don't want to do like you know two inch characters or something like that. Right. Know, so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, my I have I have many many questions. But one one of the things that struck me there was one the enormity of the vi- of the first excuse me the enormity of the final version squeezed down. All the information is still there, and yet the difference between the full-scale work and the book cover work is more than just an illustration of something. As you said, it brings something from your own body onto the page. And so in that process, do you find that you are putting yourself into that work in such a way that you become part, say, of my work and part of Dennis's work? Does that make Um, sense to you as an artist? I, I hope so. It's you know it's flattering that uh, that you say that you know you're definitely uh, kind of in that world when you're doing it. You know, so I appreciate I appreciate that. Yeah, right. Because they, I mean, you know, we we've been talking about covers, you know, a couple times on the show. Yes, we we had it, and you know, I mean, they mean a lot, lot, and a lot of times people's covers don't really reflect what the book is about because. You know, it's a lot of fluff, and you know, I, I mean, I write like a sweet romance, so you're not. It's not an intense type of book, but you know, for intense writers and for deep drama, you know, like you were, you know, I think that that's a whole different type of writer. Do you yeah, do illustrations so for yeah. other people, or, or just people that you know are very art, you know? Very into the art. You could you could say crazy, Marcia. You could or people no, not, who are crazy. I don't think it's you know? crazy though, but not really because I think when people are deep, doesn't mean they're crazy. They just mean they have deep thoughts, and a lot of people don't, and a lot of people, you know, ones that don't, you know, they, 
they might want to be deeper, but they can't get to the, the level that, like, you or Dennis, because Dennis was on my show years ago, and I know he's always, you know, there's different types of that I have on my show, and that's what I would classify, you're different writers than others, because I've seen in your books other things that other writers cannot do or wouldn't do, but right. you do. Yeah. Well, you take the liberty I have a, a of question doing. sort of hinging on this other cover thing. Have you ever used AI in any of your in any of your work? And what do you think that about was, AI? That was, my next, that was my next question. <laughs> that was yeah. my next question because I wanted to know because AI is a big topic right now. Um, I've used AI for um, you know some some technical writing things that have to do for the organization. Definitely, uh, you know, but it's it's something that you have to write the first copy, you put it through Chad GPT, and then you have to edit it again, you know, so I kind of look at it as yeah. a tool rather than, uh, you know, something I think that's uh, taking it, taking anything away from anybody, you know, and it's, um, I've never, I've never used it for images, but uh, I've had okay. people inquire about me making images where I just want to be like, why, why don't you just make an AI image since it's, it's so dictated, you know, and, and yeah. you know exactly what they want. And uh, tell you honestly, I don't think any artist would want to would want to do that, you know, right. um, for anything other than money, you know. Um, so it's, yeah. uh, I don't know how you would get good results, anyways, you know. So I, I kind of look at it as a tool, but um, to tell you honestly, that's that's just my opinion, you know, because there are a lot of you know grant writers that that this thing will kind of replace eventually people that really mean well, you know, um, that know what they're doing, know what they're talking about. There's a lot of other professions where that are kind of, you know, under threat, but but it's, it, it kind of all goes back to who, who owns the machines, right, rather than what the machines do. Right. Yeah. So. Well, Russ, I have a, a question that hinges on that. Uh, one of the things that the AI people are talking about is whether or not the AI can actually be sentient, can have sent, you know, feelings and stuff like that. And yet, when I look at your work, I see uh, an enormous component from the unconscious that a Jungian psychologist might think about, you know, these sweet, sweeping things coming from the unconscious. Do you think it's possible for a machine like AI to have an unconscious? Isn't that what, in fact, defines the human mind and, and the artist in his or her search for that image that speaks from a deeper place? I hope not. Um, <laughs> I <just say>, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I still, I, I think it's a tool. You know, I think it's a tool. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a tool. I think if you put something in. And, like, if you put something into a chip, you go, like, oh, make this better. And they can make maybe it sound a little better. But the person that's putting it in has to have something to put in. You know, so you just can't say, do this for me and make it right. You know, well, it can do that. But it might not be what writers want and hopefully won't take over, you know, uh, a lot of things. And it's like anything else. It's just right now it's going on, but maybe it won't be on in a few years. You know, something else will come up. You know, but I mean, I think there's always going to be room for illustrators, for authors. You know, I, I don't think, you know, we all have minds. So I think I'm hoping that nothing changes, that we don't have our own mind to say what we want. Uh, Russ, Russ I, have, to do I have one more, one more thing that I'd like to, to push at you to see, you know, what you're in one of Dennis's books, he has a story about a guy who goes in, you did the cockroach, uh, or yeah, the cockroach illustration for that, this, this cockroach sitting at a typewriter. In the story, the guy goes into a room, closes the screen, the, the windows, turns out the light, closes his eyes, sits down and types. So what that seems to me is he's doing this in the dark. Do you ever close your eyes when you are working up an image of some kind to see if there's a correspondence between what's in your brain and what comes out on the paper? Um, I, think you, <laughs> I, you, I don't know about closing my eyes, but you definitely have that image in your in your mind, you know, where you're, 
not maybe looking at what you're doing, but kind of trying to trying to think about what 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 it looks like, you know. Especially mm-hmm. if you're working with uh, kind of things out of your head that that parallel, you know, the crystalline sphere, or whatever. If you if you need to like turn a body part in your head just to to kind of figure out what it would look like on the page, you know. Sometimes you end up doing that in in your mind yeah. rather than on the page. Yeah. Well, uh, I read I read Jack, something Jack, about Jack. Jack, Jack, I want to ask you a question. Jack, do you close your eyes when you're mm-hmm. Looking for images. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I That's why I'm asking why Boston. you because you asked this, right? Yes, because I think you do that, I and I think I Boston. learned something like yeah. that from you. Yeah, you well, there are two, two aspects to that. One, one is what we call timed writing, the work that Bob and I did right. for years that we learned from yes. Natalie Goldberg. Uh, right. It's it's a great deal of his blind side, I think. And and I just had an, an experience that I'm trying to work up a new novel. I think I'm calling it the best, the last of the best. And I didn't know what it was about, but on the plane coming back from Boston after Thanksgiving, I uh, just had this this notion, this idea. And so I wrote 17 pages of text with my eyes closed, and it's all over the page. I may not be able to decipher it but I have an idea now of what this novel is about. And so it becomes uh, really critical for me to stay in that dark place in order for those images to find find position on the page, so to speak. And I wanted to bring up one thing uh, with Russ. I read some time ago a a quote from Giacometti who said, you can never draw the glass you see on the table that water glass, you can only draw the residue of an image. Does that make sense to you as a visual artist, what he just said, that you can't ever draw the glass? It's always going to be the residue of something on your retina? <laughs> yeah, I <could>. sure. <laughs> he wasn't bad, Jack already. He's, you know, if he keeps practicing, he's, he's a little <laughs> artist. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, there's you know, there's something else. There's definitely, you know, it, def- it definitely gets filtered through through someone before it hits the page, you know, which is uh, kind of like something. Also, I noticed in like the residency we run, you know, how um, mm-hmm. kind of when you when you're young and you think to know that you know what's what's good and what's not, and then mm-hmm. as you kind of learn to learn to appreciate art, you realize that it's just other people's interpretations that are unique to them, you know, and it's and it's so important to kind of show how people could look at the same thing in different ways, you know, and kind mm-hmm. of that's tell brilliant stories yeah. out of one point of reference. Yeah, you know? yeah, because right, we all don't think alike. Somebody will see something, but then mm-hmm. they'll, you know, it's like if you go to a movie, ten people. Will like five people will like the movie. One will think it's okay. The other one will think it's you know nothing. So you know we all have our own thoughts, which is a good thing. I mean you know so we don't see the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever we do. Yeah. And so when people are writing, yeah, when they're writing too, they can't you know you have to write for yourself. You know a lot of times, which Jack you know that, but a lot of people are trying to write like other people. And I'm sure there's a lot of artists yeah. that are trying to be like other artists. So it's really yeah. about express, yeah. expressing yourself, you know, right. and, well, and having, let's a, put it this way, and being, and being honest enough to put it out there. Do you think yeah. that there's a lot another, of people, Russ, that don't? For, for, yeah. Russ, Bob Ray and Dennis Must and I have been talking a lot lately about late style and how, if I were to go back and read some of the books that were formative in my in my thinking, I would find stuff in them that I did not see before. Do you find that as you become more expert with your techniques, do you see, and this is, I don't even have to ask the question, but do you see deeper into the reality of the mind? Uh, are you are you aging well like good wine? 
I would say I would you say know. the opposite. I think the more the more I do this <laughs> stuff, the more I, I realize that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm saying, you know, every every image is unique, every every plate yep. is unique. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So it's kind of like uh, it's it's like the the more you think you understand, the more you kind of like realize how deep the deep end is. You know, so yeah, it's, yeah. You know, I think I that's kind of what I was trying to get to is that you discover you discover a depth in other writers that only bounced off of your own consciousness because as you age, you begin to say, holy, there's stuff I did not see and understand at all. And I think that's what I'm saying. And this comes out in late style where you try to... I sent you a note about the discovery of late style stuff about how there's certain things you have to abandon in the standard model of fiction and, and in a way, I see that in your work, that you're abandoning the standard model of etching or sketching or illustrating by bringing your own unconscious world into the image. Uh, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. Is, I think is there even a question there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes sense. You know, definitely. It's kind of, uh, I guess... You know, in, in school they call it like figuring out your own style or something like that. And most of the time it just means like you, you stop caring as much and, and letting the thing that you're afraid of come come out. You know, right. you stop yeah. caring about how people, how other people see it, and just kind of realize that that's that's the only moment where like selfish satisfaction is okay. You know, is on that piece. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Right. That's the arts. I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't that be nice if for a lot of people that are listening out there, you know, they everybody thinks sometimes, you know, that they are afraid to say certain things. But sometimes in your work as an artist or as a novelist, you have to say what you have to say. So, you know, it might not be popular, but it's if it goes into the story or the work, what can we do? That's how I think we think. That's why we are different than other people, which are like regular friends. I'm sure you have reg- people that are artists, but you also have people that are regular friends. They may not understand some of the things that we think. When I look at something, I see a story, and, I, and I'm wondering what other people think. They don't probably think that. And you probably see images, I would say. Is that something you might think, Russ, that you would see how other, you would see things that other people don't see? Because you're trying. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely, I think everybody sees sees things differently. You know, it's just important for people to have a way to kind of put that out in a in a peaceful way. You know, that doesn't hurt anybody. You know, and I think that's writing or image making or well, right. You know. Well, not hurting that. Well, that is a whole different story. But and that is unfortunately that's coming into a world that we don't want to be in where people are really not nice to each other at all. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that the world changes a little bit more where people are more are kinder, you know, and, you know, I think I, I base a lot of things that has happened during COVID because I think a lot of people are different than they were before COVID. And because I think people judge their life, life now, I'll hear them say, oh, before COVID, I did this. Or after I COVID, I did that. And I don't know that people are the same since COVID. Do either of you have a thought about that, Jack? Do you have a thought about that? Because you had COVID. Well, yeah. yeah well, in, in fact, in, in Man Alone, I have buried in there the fear of COVID. And one of the things I wanted to ask uh, Russ is you mentioned uh, working in fear. Do you ever act, do you ever access and, and recognize the fear that's in you? and try to, to bring that out, not to write horror or to, to make a horror illustration, but somehow right. to fill the image with something deeper, like a feeling, not an emotion, but a feeling from the limbic brain, the deeper part, our reptile brain. Do you, do you feel that in your own art? Um, she said, I don't know, Jack. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, um, I, 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 you know, it's. I, th- I think that's more of like kind of like the. You know, you don't. I don't really think of anything specific when I do these things. Okay. I, I okay. think it's it's more about just kind of not thinking about anything specific.
just trying to get to what you want to get to on the page and whether it looks right or not. I don't I don't think as I don't see your work as as fearful, but what I what I'm asking basically is do you monitor anything to stop the flow of the image from coming out on the page or do you just let it rip and take what comes? I think I think both, you know what I mean? And it all depends on how much how much I've been doing um cuz kind of when you're when you're making images constantly, you know, it, it comes to you easier than if you stop for a while and have to do something else and, and then come back to it, that kind of thing. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know to tell you honestly. There there definitely was a point, um, like in my late 20s, where I got pigeonholed for a style, you know, and everybody wanted this one thing from me. And uh, mm. I, I, just, I couldn't do it anymore, you know, and that's kind of mm. like when I switched over to monotypes because I couldn't really control them as much as I could, mm-hmm. you know, like a, t- a tight mm-hmm. drawing and uh, just had to deal with like the, that, that frustration and, and trying to work with kind of limitations in order to still get the image uh, feeling right, you know. So it's, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I usually don't, I usually well, don't I think you do know. I think I, you I, just I, explained it very well. You know, right. I, I really Jack, do. I want to ask, Jack, I want to ask us a question. I want Because usually I don't ask this question, but I can see how deep you're going into this. Russ, what do you do to relax? You know, because I think you might do something different. Do you do something completely different that would relax you so you can be able to think when you have to get back to work? Um, I think it's just, uh, I don't know if it's about relaxing as much, as much to do, to do this stuff. I think it's just about <clears throat> getting kind of continuous hours in the studio or continuous days. Like, I, I know, like, for instance, if I'm, you know, writing grants or running the studio for a month and a half, it's going to take me at least, you know, a day or two to just stare at a wall or stare at a blank canvas and do yeah, a lot of bad right. things, you know? Um, yeah. Just to kind of shed shed that skin, you know, and, and just kind of be be able to do the thing that I do again. But um, yeah, it's it's. It, I don't know if that answers it. But yeah, but you're right. And Jack, do you Jack, do you stop working at all? I mean, do you not work? Or are well, you I think that in, in the in the writing in the writing world, there there. Are, there's the writer, and then there's the others. And because the others see you sitting in a coffee shop with a pencil in your hand staring out the window, they think, oh, you have a lot of time. But they don't they don't really comprehend what's going on. Russ's mind is working the same way, too. The old mind is cranking on this stuff. It's just that it hasn't quite found the words to cover that feeling or that, that deeper feeling, and you're, you're waiting for something to happen to turn that feeling into to black ink on a on a white paper and so relaxing to me is is very an interesting question because in in a way i i never relax um meredith uh, brick and mills who uh yes. met some time ago her her father was a novelist uh, named uh Whit williams work williams and I had not heard of him, so I asked her to let me get a, got a couple of his novels, and I read them, and I made some notes, and then I talked to her, and she said, did you like them? And I had to stop and think, wait a minute, when did I stop reading for like? You know, I mean, the stories are basically going to be the same, so how can I like this story over that story? What I read for is... What in the world has this writer done that I have not seen before? What has this yeah. guy brought to the page that opens doorways to the beyond, so to speak? And that now this is how I relate to Russ's work. As soon as I saw those drawings, those images that he had produced for Dennis, I thought, this is a guy who's peered through the looking glass and come out on the other side and has now brought something back that wasn't here before. And I think that's the essence of creativity. It doesn't matter if you like it. See, that, that's a very subjective kind of thing. What I want to see is how the artist 
brings back these unknown items, one-of-a-kind things that sit in the museum of art and say, look at me, you know, this is what's out there. Let's see what else we can bring back. And in my own mind, what this does is I do not write the same book twice. To write the same book twice would be so boring. So when Russ Mm -hmm. says people liked what he was doing and they wanted him to do more of it, he said, no, I don't want to do more of it. I want to do something else. And to me, that's the trigger that tells me this man's mind is working at a deeper level than the than the relaxed mind or the liking mind does. Maybe some of the things we bring back are ugly to some people. Maybe the aesthetic is different. But what we feel when we look at that is, oh, my, look at that. What, where did that come from? And that's what I like is is that feeling of, wow, wow, wow. Does that answer your question, Mark? Yep. Well, I, you know what? I think it's true, you know, because sometimes when, you know, I've, we've talked about this on the show, and sometimes when I've listened to my audio books that are from me, you know, that somebody has done for me, I don't even feel like I wrote that story sometimes. I'm just listening right. to it. I'm going like, where was right. I at that moment when I wrote that? I mean, because I think maybe yeah. an artist might feel the same thing, because in five minutes I could be in a different mode, you know, um, yeah. My com- even in my conversations, like people will say, like, well, what subject are you on now? Because I do talk fast a lot of times, and I do. I my husband has learned to live with that. But I'll be on one subject, and then the next minute I'm on the next. I don't relax. I'm always, even when I'm watching a movie, I'm thinking of my characters. So I just was wondering what other people do. I wish I could sometimes, and I think I'm relaxing. But then again, I always have a pad and paper next to me in case I have a thought, which is usually what I do. So, I mean, just some people don't, you know, they're always working. It seems like all yeah. three of Russ, us have Russ, that do you ever, yeah, Russ, do you ever have out-of-body experiences when the pen is moving? Where you lose where you are and you come back and say, where was I? Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Definitely. Definitely. Right. Yeah, definitely yeah. somewhere else. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's out of body, you know, I don't know what it is, you know. Um, but yeah, that's, kind of, that's kind of a metaphor, but you, you feel like, you you know, you feel like being abducted by aliens and you come back and say, oh, this is where I am kind of thing, you know. You, you lose time, I guess, is a better way of stating it. That, that's yeah, why, that's yeah. why Jack and I, Jack, Jack thinks like that, you know, he does, you know, and he brings out the thoughts for people, in the, even in the questions that, he asks, like today or every time he's been on the show, he has his own agenda. So uh, that's why I'm asking that, too, of what he does. Because it's true, we all, you know, we have things that are similar, but we really are different. And we sometimes we don't even realize it, I would assume, some of the things that we do. Other people around us might, but we might not, because we're just so used to who we are. You know, and it's taken, yeah. it, over the years, everybody changes in some way. I'm pretty sure yeah. of that, you know, because well, when you do something yeah. 10 years ago, you might, would you, when you look at your books from 10 years ago, do you recognize how you felt or do you, is it just something well, different? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question, Marcia, because what I try to do is write each book to the limits of the techniques that I possess at that time so that if I do go back and read it 10 years later, I don't get the squirm factory and say, oh, my God, how did I write? I say, okay, that's where I was at that time in this place, right. and this is the, what I did at this time with that. And so I think, in a way, that's the way you measure your growth as an artist or as a writer is can you look at your work before and say, oh, that's shit, or can you look at your look and say, oh, that's where I was at that time. Yeah, Those are right. totally totally different measurements. You know, I mean, Citadel in my mind, is, is is a weird book, and I can read parts of it now and say, you know, okay, I get that. If I go back and read something like Double Thin, A Game of Chance, uh, I, I say, okay, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty good for where I was at that time, but I'm not there now. I'm in a man yeah. alone now, and those worlds yeah. have changed, and I think that's what I mean by growth, is never being ashamed of what you have done, but seeing what right. was in the past as where you were at your best moment at that particular time, 
And I'm yeah. almost positive that Russ must feel that. Yeah, I'm going to ask Russ that too. Russ, how do you feel about that when you look at something? Because like a lot of writers, you know, we rewrite and rewrite, and then we can always rewrite the book later. But once the artwork is done, so do you feel that sometimes when you look at some of the things you've done that you might want to do something different with it? Um, I think it's interesting what you said before about kind of not remembering doing doing the thing. You know, yeah. almost, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's kind it's of interesting like, yeah. like when, when I think about. Yeah. Uh, making some of my pieces it's it's almost like a childhood memory you know you like remember uh, like a yeah. flash of your hand doing something yeah. you know but then there's yeah. just chunks of time that are missing you know yeah. um and then when you end up kind of looking at it after it's done um you don't remember doing it and sometimes they just kind of look like black holes you can't even look at it or you can't see it you know so um yeah i don't, I don't know uh, does, yeah. that, does that kind of answer it a little bit? Yeah, I, I've, yeah, I'm yeah, very... no, yeah, because I think that's right. We we all have those kind of feelings. You know, sometimes we don't talk about it. You know, but it's a podcast, and we do ask questions. You know, we're talking about things, and other writers. That's the thing about talking with other writers or artists. It helps because we. Well, that's in a question, some ways, Russ. Do you do you have a community of artists that you meet with and yeah. talk and share ideas with? Or, or how do you work as an individual in a collective? Um, well, you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be around a lot of artists uh, through right. Carrier Pigeon. You know, the magazine we kind of built a, mm-hmm. you know, a, I, I wouldn't say it's a collective like that, but we know, you know, we know each other, uh, a lot of artists, and then through the artist residency and the people that work at the studio, um, you know, um, through printmaking, which is kind of like a small world. Um, I'm fortunate uh, to see a lot of what's going on, you know, at the moment, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's inter- and, you know, I, I think it's just interesting to see, again, like everybody's vantage point and what people do and that it's uh, rather than thinking, you know, what's better than the other thing, just thinking of how important mm. the whole thing is and how uh, it's it's just kind of self-sustaining or trying to be, you know, even in like the U.S. where kind of culture isn't funded at all, you know, it's it's still kind of persevering and trying to to kind of soft soft power these points into people's heads that, you know, hopefully it'll eventually beat out the real power that's doing the evil things going on out there, you know. It's like there's a... There's been such a, in my opinion, you know, from, you know, just from a couple of Shakespeare plays, you know, that that, that narrative has been a lot stronger than, say, like the Machiavellian, you know, Prince or something like that. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think over time, kind of what we do and supporting each other and making things, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, tell our personal stories, I think that's kind of the, the key of it all. You do know? you... Do you have people that come to you and talk to you and say that, you know, they just can't do art anymore, they're just, you know, they don't feel it? Or do you have advice to people out there that sometimes get into a a part of their life when they go, I don't think I can do this anymore? Because writers have that, and that's why I try to keep writers writing. Do artists come to you with their problems and how they can get through things? And if they, some of them might want to quit yeah, I mean, good luck. I, I don't know anybody that can quit, to, to tell you. Right, right, right. Right, that's a good answer to that. Like, you just stop doing it. Right. You know, I'm 42, right, right. and I play in a death metal band. I know, you know, I know how right. ridiculous that is, you know, but I can't stop, you know, so... Um, right, because writers and artists uh, really can't. Right, yeah, because that's what um, we do, but, no matter... Right, and musicians, too, you know, um, right, and... Uh, right. I, th- I think most of the time when I hear people being disillusioned uh, is it's it has more to do with the art world uh, rather yeah. than the art itself, you mm-hmm. know. So right. I think, yeah. you know, and I'm right. kind of right. uh, learned learning to kind of realize that the art world and making art are two completely different things, just two ships passing yeah. in the ocean, you know. Yeah, so right. it's. Uh, Occasionally in the residency, we kind of get like the resume chasers, you know, that are just, they just want the thing on their resume so they can get to the next thing so they can hopefully get into a collection and 
you know, and right. I don't know what the, the final goal for them is. It, it's like to be immortalized in some box somewhere in a museum. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, or like the banana at Art Basel or something like that, you know, but that has, <laughs> to me, that has like yeah. little, little well, to do with Russell, you know, I want you to know that the, that the writing world mirrors precisely the one you just spoke about. There are the writers who are writing books, and then there's the the big five publishing industry that you only achieved success if you were published by one of the big five, and so you're sort of bereft out there. It's like most of the like top sellers, like they just buy the books outright, right? And it's just just so they can get on the seller list. Well, see, that's exactly right. That's right. That is exactly right. And because people, like I've talked about this, they're on Amazon and they see all the numbers. And this this makes people, this is not the way a book or art or anything should be done by numbers and ratings and stars and all of that because people feel insecure and they may have a wonderful book, but they don't have like 5,000 reviews. They don't have all these people giving them wonderful reviews. You know, they don't have that. And so I think yeah. this is a, a problem because you have to be writing because you're a writer, not because you're going to get stars from Amazon. You know, and because it's and, – yeah. and people – that's you know, that's what I do is try to keep people writing because nobody knows when they'll have the best book of their life. doesn't mean it'll – you yeah. can write the best book and not sell it that much, but you can be satisfied that, yes, I did this and I'm happy I did this. So I think that that's a way for people to look, you know, at things rather yeah. than just looking at stars and saying, oh, I got this many ratings. So that is a problem. Because art is not supposed to be that way. And so by talking to both of all three of us, artists and writers, it's one and the same when you really were creating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you another question here. You've produced a lot of images and, you know, over the years. As you look at your, your, uh, you call it a collection, but I, I think it's a stream of art that you've produced. Is there any one particular thing that you are, and I hate to use this word, are you proud of something you look at and say, I'm glad I did that, uh, that, you know, you see something in your past that particularly becomes like a touchstone of reality and assessment for you? Hopefully the next one, you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think it's, it's, it's hard, again, it's, it's kind of like hard to, remember what you do okay. you're just kind of always trying to get the next one out you know right right, right. it's just something you do and you're finished and then you move on that you know basically yeah you're going on to the next project you know you don't stay well that, in one that, lane. that brings up a question in my mind russ do you ever abandon work a friend of mine oh, okay. uh, once told me the translation <laughs> is never <laughs> finished it's just abandoned do you ever abandon <laughs> work midway or halfway <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course, and and uh, you know I've come back <laughs> yeah. to I've come back to that, things right. years later. You know, I have a yeah. I have a piece uh, on my wall that's like a, a giant woodcut that uh, I, I haven't worked on in about two and a half years. You know, um, and it's still sitting there waiting for me to finish it. You know, so I, I think I, guess, it's, I think that's probably fine too. You know, and there's things that too in my practice where you know certain techniques take longer rather than Mm -hmm. you know like for instance a monotype is more immediate where like something Mm -hmm. like an etching or a litho there's a there's a long process and additioning to it you know and things like that so i think it's important to do both you know you have these layaway projects that uh that take forever and then you have some some techniques or some ways of writing or making music where it's just yeah. immediate, you know, and uh, you know one supports the other kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, well, I have one one final question, Marshall. When do we have to get off here? But this one, Russ, okay, is, there one yeah. is there any one of your works? Is there any one of your works that you would not sell that you that you feel is too much you to be giving some of yourself away? Um, that would, that would be a good question to, to or a good problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think no, because, because I would just put the money to other people making more art. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, I, yeah. it's, not, it's not like, uh, I think it's somebody... But you're producing books. unique things, you see. These, when we write books, and hell, anybody can go reprint it. You know, so we don't, there's no ownership involved in that. But those images that, that are individual things that are there, is there value, not, not sentimental, is there a value emotional to you or do you see cash in those things? Uh, that, that's, not a, that's not a good way to say it. But you know what I'm looking for is, is how, how do you value an individual work of art that cannot be remade? It can be reproduced, but it can't be remade. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, for me, it's it's all kind of in the in the making of it. You know, I mean, what what happens yeah. in the life the life it has after after that is really up to me. Yeah. I think you know, and uh, right, right, it's a yeah, project. And, uh, and it's, right, right. Kind of what yeah, what yeah. Marcia brought up before the you know the Amazon rating system and stuff like that. I right. think right. like all all these all these like kind of public places uh you know think things like you know when we were cavemen the artists would like gather everybody around and tell them a story about the great hunt like all these things are gone now and and they've all been disappeared mm-hmm. by these like you know fake fake marketplaces and i think it's important to kind of get those things back get those like kind of uh you know town square mentality back where the artists mm-hmm. can talk about their work and um, kind of when I sell pieces, you know, I, I put the money back into that, you know, I'm not really yeah. like buying nice cars or anything. So I think it's it's important, yeah. you know, so kind of the emotional value for me, like the life that the piece has afterwards, you know, it's, uh, it's it important that, right, that right. You know, it's what, where right. it goes and what, what happens to the money that you right. make from it, it, it all has a story, you know, and it's like... Um, right, it's the effort, it's the it effort and the, the time. Or you yeah. just sell it to hang, you know, on yeah. somebody, somebody's wall that you like, you know, yeah. Yeah, You're, and that's what the thing about writing is the same thing. It's all of our work. So, you know, there is a time when you realize that when none of us are here, that our work will be out there. So that's really leaving something to society, whether we know it or not, and we're, or think it. Because we have. Because maybe 50 years from now, someone would pick up my book or a drawing or whatever of yours, and they'll just look at it, and it'll be new to them. It's not going to be old to them. You know, which yeah. is what the other thing, before we go, the other thing is new, like that's the problem with books. Everybody wants new, new, new. But what about all the stories that are great that are older? So that's really a problem. That, and I feel that's a big yeah. problem because I, I listen to people all the time and all the bookstores only want to put people books out that are new. And that's what you said is right. You well, can buy thousands yeah, of books and get yeah. your name out there. But the fact of, well, you know, those our, things, that matter, our, those things matter to culture, artists. Our, our culture, Marsha, right. right now suffers from what they call the bright new shiny <laughs> syndrome. The yeah. bright new shiny thing, what's next? You know, the next shiny thing. And for a, a writer who spends two years on a novel, uh, you know, there's not much shine <laughs> because the, I, I, and that's, that's, uh, that's not a good place to end this thing, but... You know, no, we won't I, end it that way. Um, okay, um, this is this is the thing. Art and art is an art. And so everybody listening out there, if you have a story in you or if you want to do sculpture or art, just do it. Don't not do yep, it because right. you don't know. Yep. I mean, it's it is that is a good form of stress relievers is because do what you like to do. Don't do what you think someone wants you to do. It, there's yeah, a lot to be said right. about being happy when you're done. So uh, tomorrow I have a show before we go on children's books, which that is really a tough market. Talking about tough market, that's a really tough market. We're going to have uh, tomorrow an extra show, um, and then we won't – well, I'll have a few more after that, and then during Christmas time the last couple of weeks we don't because uh, everybody's very busy at that time. So I think for now, I think, Russ, it was great meeting you and um, listening to you. It's, it's very similar to writers. That's why it's – it's a good show to have because it's showing people. And some people do both. They write and yeah, they do their own art. 
So, you know, that's a good thing. So is there anything, Russ, you'd like to add to the conversation before we leave? Um, Well, thanks thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's been very interesting listening. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, But it's very interesting to listen to you and see how similar it is to doing a book because it's a project, it's something we care about, and we do. So it's very much... You know, they're very close in proximity of what people, so people out there can be listening to the thought of like art and, like you said, music and writing books. It's, they're all the art. Well, Marcia, I I want to, I want to echo Russ here and say thank you for having us on because this is the longest I've been able to talk to Russ and I've learned a great deal. And I love to listen to other artists talk about their techniques, even when he uses the word technique. It has a special yeah. magic because yeah. if you don't understand the techniques, you just can't understand the art. You know. Right. So thanks, Russ, for all those really but cool it seems things like his you told work, us today. It seems like after talking to Russ, his work is coming from within him, yeah. which is really nice. It's his thoughts. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think that's always yeah. good. So I thank you both yep. for being on, and everybody have a good day. Well, thank, thank you, Marcia. You and Russ, Russ will thank talk you. to you soon, I hope. Yeah. All right. Take care, my friends. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.